the subject for this evening's talk is From Fear to Creativity. Our uh, consciousness quite regularly, frequently, gets used to rather familiar moorings. Moorings which form the streams and tendencies and patterns of our life. And quite often we can go for quite long periods with a familiarity and a thread of familiarity which runs through days, weeks, months, uh, if not uh, years. And the rhythms and cycles of our uh, existence have a familiar flow to them. Obviously, within the periods of time, there are hurdles, there are the uh, ebb and flows of things, the ups and downs of things. But when we cast our mind's eye back to look over the, the years, we can see certain turning points for sure, but also, and perhaps more easily, we can see the flow of, and the rhythm of our, of our life. And those periods for the overview of our existence, in a way, show to us the familiar moorings, the familiar associations and formations of our existence. Not only how we relate to ourselves, but that and who and what we associate with. And so our life moves through the, the sequence of uh, birth and uh, ageing, and with some changes and adjustments that go on through the passing of the years. But it can be through inner and outer circumstances, or more one than the other, a sudden unhinging, a sudden um, separation, we might say, from the known and the familiar, which shakes up the consciousness. So what we have associated with, or who we have associated with, is not present for us. And in that, at times, it, the movement that goes on inside can be a kind of free-floating fear. We might look at our life on specific situations and specific circumstances and say, well, I'm afraid of this. This worries me, this frightens me, this causes me um, uh, anxiety or whatever. And there are clear, concrete, specific indications of what we are afraid of. But fear in its movement and in its motion isn't always like that. And there can be, and I hear many accounts of this, of a kind of free-floating fear a fear which doesn't have any specific thing it's associated with, but it runs through the body, it runs through the emotions and shakes us up. The philosophers might call it an existential fear. Somebody else might call it a life crisis. Uh, another is, may say it's a repressed fear which is being released. We could place and plant all manner of uh, descriptions on why it is and uh, what it is. 
And in those waves of fear which arise, whether it's with the known or whether it's with regard to the uh, unknown, it means that there's at least some temporary disassociation from the comfortable, from the uh, familiar, and from what you and I have got used to. The actual experience of fear, whether it's with the known or with the un unknown, can appear and seem to be all bad news. The experience of fear, having to undergo the fear, and the thought itself tends to reflect or um, demand as quickly as possible the cessation of the fear which has arisen. So one is experiencing fear and the thought says, I don't want this fear. I want it to go away. I, can't ex I don't want to experience this anymore. When is it going to be over? Or why is it here? What's caused this? What started this? And all the thoughts in the world ain't going to make any difference. And we can become experts in describing the fears that we have. We can talk about them with great confidence to other people and ourselves. We can go to the professionals, maybe we are, we are the professionals, and the expertise of language and description doesn't mean anything. We have simply become clever describers. No statement of being in touch with anything, no statement of transformation, no statement of giving up, letting go, seeing through, resolving, simply good with words. In the name of being in touch with our experience. In the name of. So there's these fears which arise in life. And to a degree, and to quite a degree, what we are most identified with, we are also, like it or not, most afraid of. And the degree and intensity of what we identify with will, can and will easily generate the most fear of. And so, it's a peculiar phenomena that goes on with a human being that quite often being identified with is a source of pleasure. We get a, a kind of pleasurable sensation out of being identified with ourselves or with our family or with our friends or with our country or whatever. But when things change, it generates fear. Fear of loss, fear of things being different, fear of things going wrong, fear of disaster, fear of tragedy, or whatever. So the consequences of our identification with and all the intensity that can accompany that generates fear either fear around it itself or 
that it will be threatened by something else. And our life can become a kind of endless struggle to protect, uphold and defend what we identify with. Anything. Just recently I was giving a talk in the local town in Tottenham and it was on holistic awareness local Anglican minister and others of us uh, speaking at the Natural Health Centre and one of the common features most human beings is we identify with health and the stronger we identify with continuity of health the more we fear sickness the more we identify with things going our way the greater we are afraid that things won't go our way and our life can be quite consumed in this movement identification with clinging to, holding on to, fear of and we wonder what kind of wisdom an exploration of life is it where we can have connection with be associated with be committed to therefore no alienation no withdrawal no detachment yet knowing in the heart neither identification with therefore neither fear of neither identification with therefore neither fear of just before coming here I was speaking to this evening to um, Gwenwin, my daughter's uh, mother she's just been to a funeral today a funeral with an immense tragedy just two or three weeks ago family mother Rowena from Sri Lanka a Tamil husband English person, Englishman two children, one aged 12, one aged 8 two friends of the children at Sulcombe 45 minutes drive here, a small harbour 9.30 in the evening decided to cross the bay not very, quite calm, not very far from one side of the bay to the other and the boat sank small boats for whatever reasons neither the mother nor the father could swim the father drowned and the twelve-year-old daughter made every attempt to keep the mother afloat she was in intensive care and died four days ago so two children, one aged twelve and one aged eight have become orphans 
in one tragic, tragic incident. The future of the children is very uncertain. They're staying with the parents of the two children, other children who were, had life, four children had life jackets on, they were, they were saved until the end of the year. And then their world is totally uncertain. The grief and the sorrow of the parents of the, the grandparents of the children, parents of the two, the mother and the father that died is just beyond belief. So there's life flowing, moving along. And one tiny incident rowing across, 9.30 in the evening, quite a quiet evening, on a summer's evening, many tourists and visitors around, and the boat sinks. For what reasons, we don't know. Mother and father die. And all the outflows of anguish and sorrow and grief and, and pain. And how easy it is in life to take the ordinary and the everyday, the known and the familiar, to for granted, for granted. And how so often and easily our, our thoughts and our irritations and our negativities and our, and our preoccupations and our projections on, on other people seem in such the light of such circumstances as the funeral today seems so savage, so brutally inconsiderate, even the slightest form of anger and hostility towards another, when one just considers the, the vulnerability and the fragility of existence. And Guanyin said to me that, Twelve-year-old daughter who struggled so much to keep her mother above the water. Just read a poem today at the funeral service, and just the tears in the in the small church in the village nearby, and how the grandparents were still just staring into the coffin in the grave in the churchyard, unable to pull themselves away from the horror and the shock of it all. So there's the movement of our life. What, to find a clarity, a heartfulness, a, an awareness and a, a wisdom and an understanding which dispels the intensity of identifications, the fears that go with it. How fear of can produce anger towards, aggression towards, how aggression towards, anger towards is a statement, an outer form of fear. And we try to look into all of that and to see ways and means that we can work with it and transform it. So something else comes out of the human being and the human heart which is not trapped With fear, there's also oft, quite often, um, I suspect, uh, um, a very understandable confusion between what is fear and what isn't fear. 
And what I have in mind here is that fear certainly can express itself in bodily sensations sometimes, which have a real grip on us. It can express itself in the emotional reactions too. And one feels that kind of fear sometimes of the feelings intensely. One can feel fear in the pit of the stomach, of course. One can feel fear, which is experience fear, which is not in the pit of the stomach. And it's not in the waves of um, uh, emotional waves that run through greater or lesser. It's actually shown there. So, it's not, so sometimes it's not in any of those two fairly obvious fields of existence, but actually showing and mirroring itself just in the thought. In the thought. And the mind can get quite considerably conditioned in such a way that we don't feel fear, which in a way is a pity. And we just have an habituation of difficulty in certain circumstances. And then with that, the thought begins to rationalize it. One of the most common ones, and was referred to today in a small group and is referred to regularly, and that is fear of having to speak in front of a group, to speak about one's experience, to have to face the uh, uh, the relentless questions of people like Christopher, or its kinder expression in people like Yvonne. And the thought can arise. I don't want to go to a group. I don't need, I don't need a group. I don't want to hear what's going on with other people. It's not really what I'm here for. I've got nothing to say anyway. Nothing's happening. Really, there's no, what's the point of wasting 45 minutes <coughs> having to sit in a group with several other people? I know what I'm going to be asked. I've been on these retreats before. All thinking. But the thinking can easily be obscuring. The truth of the matter is that one is afraid of groups. No feeling of that, no sensation of that, but just it sums itself up in the thinking line which says, I've got nothing to say. And, of course, one becomes a, through that, a, can become a rather quiet and uh, withdrawn human being. And if one becomes a quiet and withdrawn human being who honestly believes, oh, I've got nothing to say, nothing worth saying, nothing important to say, etc., then those who talk most get the most influence, as you can see. And it's a great pity that the talkers of the world have more influence, or think they do anyway, than the non-communicators. And perhaps it might be that there is a great deal, and there is, of heart 
and wisdom and clarity. But there's just one hiccup in it that prevents insight and understanding and openness and exploration taking place. And that one hiccup is that one is just, a, just has some condition, conditioned mind which is, of a, which is afraid to speak up in front of others. And it deserves our attention. Why should we let those who ramble on for 45 minutes or more have so much influence in this world? Or think they do. So when we're speaking of fear inwardly, we're actually and equally speaking of its implications outwardly. And therefore, as we say so often, finding our voice matters in this world. Especially if it's the voice of kindness and the voice of compassion and the voice of clarity and openness and, ins and insight. And let's not let anything inhibit it. So there's three expressions of fear through the body, through the emotion and through the thought. Just saying, as I said earlier, wanting thought, the thought saying, I want fear to go away, the thought describing it very well is rather irrelevant. In that, the confusion which can arise is if there's some unpleasant sensations emerging out of the body, and it's got an association with an event, we say, oh, I'm afraid. But the body has the right, and in fact the necessity as a kind of natural biological mechanism, we might say, at times to respond with very strong unpleasant sensations. They do have a purpose. And so if you're taking a walk outside, down the lane here, outside the retreat centre. And one huge dog suddenly leapt at you. Teeth, fangs out, about to make a leap for your genitals. You could be the Buddha of the Buddhas. And I would say, you'll get some unpleasant sensations coming out of your body. <laughs> to actually imagine one is going to respond like Yvonne with the loving-kindness meditation as this dog goes for it. Peace. <laughs> Kindness. And see all snarling, rabid dogs as one's best friend or closest teacher is asking too much. So the body may generate the sensations. Doesn't make it fear. The description say, God, I was so terrified. The fear comes in the contractions, in the holding, in the grasping, in the clinging to, in the terror, in the paralysis, 
just the moment of the sensations, I say, you could be the Buddha of the Buddhas, and the unpleasant sensations will come out of the body. To know what is what requires from us a clarity of mind, a clarity of being to know. Ah, unpleasant sensations doesn't make it fear. And we can forget this insofar as the teachings indicate and unreservedly point to a life of fearlessness. To live without fear. Which is not the same as living without unpleasant sensations in the manner and form that I just spoke of. Some people say, oh God, this is ridiculous. Not a chance. We need fear. Everybody has fear. Fear's all around. Can't meet anybody without, without fears. And so on and so forth. And the assumption then is, our fear is necessary for existence. Oh no, it isn't. It's useless, irrelevant, unhealthy, unhelpful, unwanted, unnecessary, etc. And surely every time there is fear going on, the thought is confirming it. When there's fear going on, there, we don't say, oh great, I'm having some fear. I'm really worried about losing my job. Just great, because fear is really true to existence. I should have some more, because it's so true to existence. The whole rebellion inside is saying, fear, I don't need it. There's sometimes just enough, it might just come through with the thought. Just enough thought, which at least just indicates a little bit, hey, this fear, I don't need fear. Surely there is a way of responding to existence without being afraid of it. By staying steady and true and finding out what is. And if we really look at what is in this world, we genuinely look at it, there is nothing in this world to be afraid of. But we don't look at it. We make a fetish. Mind makes something there and we see, as I was saying the other day, we see snakes in the forest where it's a rope. We make a fetish out of things, and on the fetish we experience fear. You say, what's all this got to do with creativity? Or we might say, I'm saying. What is, it, what is the shift from fear to creativity? What is a, a creative life? And to some extent, in a deeper sense, uh, Christianity, to its credit, reminds us of the potency of uh, creativity. Just before walking in the hall here, I was in the, of, of, in the office, 
and a local friend had given me some posters of from the tangas, you know, these are the uh, what the Tibetans paintings, quite beautiful, long-standing tradition, tremendous precision going on from one generation of artists to the other. And one that I was looking at was the, the fusion of emptiness with wisdom. And sometimes in those fusions, the artists, the Buddhist artists, put them into, see the Buddha with a, 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 in an, an erotic embrace from a, a woman. Quite, quite uh, uh, lo lovely, lovely to see. And in the expressions of uh, creativity there, you see, here's this creativity. Sometimes it gets exaggerated into God the Creator, which is, leaves some of us a little uncomfortable. But there's a sense and a beauty and a wonder in the creative finding its expression. When we are in fear, actually in state of fear, we're paralyzed as far as creativity goes. Creativity of being, creativity of expression, creativity of communication, creativity in the arts, creativity of existence. The fear is, is a, has a kind of numbing and paralyzing impact upon us. And the self, the arising of the self, is most tangible in that fear. But if we stop and look at those moments and periods when we are being creative, the actual moment of, where's the I? Where is it? When, as some of you here are, artists, whether it's artists with writing or artists with painting or with the brush or whatever. And there's total attention is given to the art, to the expression, to the creativity. Something is flowing in from inwardly, inwardness, making and manifesting outwardly and showing itself in this world and therefore becoming public. The inner life becoming public through the art through the creativity. In the actual time of that, there's pure creativity going on. The self is pretty well irrelevant. One's personal storyline, that's not going on in one's mind. What one might be having for breakfast tomorrow morning, that's not going on in one's mind. Who one's friends are, the school that one went to, the art college that one went to, or whatever one likes to do, etc. All the self and all its relationships and all its roles, including the one which says, I am an artist, totally irrelevant. For one sitting there in front of the board or in front of the pen and saying, I am an artist. Fat chance of creativity coming out. Only I, I, I am, I am, I am, I was, I was, I was, I will be, I will be, I will be. So then there's this movement, calling it creativity. No fear, no holding, just 
creativity manifesting beautifully, wonderfully. And so in, it's a kind of no self-expression. If, while engaged in that creative expression, somebody comes along, I'm sure it's happened to us, all of us enough times, and suddenly taps us on the shoulder and says, ah, I just want to speak to you for a minute. The self is reborn in the moment. Oh, why did it bother me? I was just in the moment of this greatest creation since Michelangelo, and you've just stopped it. I is born, the creative expression has ceased, the self is back, and one's irritated and pissed off because of the door knock, the tap on the shoulder, or whatever it might be. So, when the self is in abeyance, the flow takes place, it has its cycle and circle of time, maybe for minutes, maybe for hours, or, or whatever. If I may say, I remember um, in writing, which is uh, a joy and a pain in the neck simultaneously, of one day, I remember one day, I got up, on Sunday morning, and started writing. Some of you may have had this. And there was a flow of creativity. I couldn't believe it, even as I was doing it. And hardly a word need changed. And I wrote thousands of words for one of these appalling books that I'd written. And in this flow that took place, it went on for 12, 13 hours or more. Not a break in it. No interruptions, no door knocks, no phone calls, and nothing else going on. Just wait. And I remember at the end of the day, in the evening, thinking, if I could have kept this going for a week, <laughs> instead of working with regularity on this wretched book for two years, I would have finished it in seven days. There's, so sometimes there's a flow of things which goes on. Then it ceases. What happens when it ceases? Then how easily the I claims ownership. It was totally out of the way the energy flow has stopped, the creativity has stopped, other things have now begun. And the eye comes and says, I did this. It had to be out of the way for it to occur. Then it comes and claims ownership. And then we put our name on it. <laughs> I did this. And of course, as we know in the, since the uh, time of the Renaissance, Every wretched artist can't wait to get his or her name on what was done. It's tragic. And the artist has then become isolated from the mainstream of society, detached from, alienated from, something other than the self gone mad with identification the suffering artist, the rejected artist, the, the hurt artist, the pain artist, the struggling artist. 
pain, hurt, struggle goes on. <laughs> whether you're an artist or whether you're not, it goes on with life. And yet we want to make a special role of it. Creativity comes out of depth of being. And so when the eye gets reinforced through the identification with, as we know, sometimes the artist has humongous egos, huge, creating despair and confusion and arrogance and conceit and problems addictions and obsessions, etc., etc. What's happened between the movement and the self? The arising of the self. And with the arising of the self and the arising of the ego comes fear. Why? Some identification with going on, as well as other conditional factors from the past, obviously. And even though some will say, it's not me. It's not me. It's just happening. Creative people say, it's just happening. Some will say, it's not me. It's, uh, it's just coming through me. But then the me gets in, it's not coming through you. <laughs> it's coming through me. Me. Somewhere the me wants to get in there. It can't quite acknowledge that it's got nothing to do with it. But it comes in, me, 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 in some way. We're here to see the language of I just as language. Just as ways of talking. And let creativity express itself not confused by it, not deceiving us. Couldn't care less about names on things. Couldn't, just couldn't care less about it. So the exploration is such that if we're truly in touch, walking on this earth, is a statement of creativity as much as Tai Chi is or the ballet is. To walk on this earth is as much a statement of creativity. To actually be utterly still and utterly present is as much a manifestation of the creation as anything else between heaven and earth. And when we can understand and distinguish between feelings and thoughts and those uh, gut reactions I spoke of and just unpleasant sensations arising and passing and just to know them as that. And to really look at the fears, whether it's of the known or unknown and free-floating. And not to feed that, but to work diligently through it. To face what seems unfaceable, to stare the tiger in the eyes, as I said yesterday. Then creativity will come, naturally, easily.
and one has a love for that in life. Approval and disapproval, praise and blame, that's what we have two ears for. One for praise and one for blame. And not biting. Love of creative expression. That matters more than the views and opinions of human beings. And surely we've looked at our own minds to see the bizarreness and the peculiarities of all the views and opinions that come out of our own mind. What on earth would any intelligent human being be doing, wanting to grasp and make a fuss about the views and opinions of others? Just words passing through the air. And with clarity there, what's worth attending to and listening to becomes insightful. Feedback becomes insightful. Not something to worry about or be afraid of or to fight against. Because we're not making a fetish of the state of mind and the movement of language between human beings. And in that creativeness of life, fulfillment of life is immediate. An enlightened life is immediate. A fearless life is immediate. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with creativity. May all beings abide with wisdom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.